We're starting a three-week series called Money Matters, and I have been in Byron for over three years now, and I have not preached on money <laughs> that I, to speak of, and it's overdue, but I don't like to talk about money because churches and preachers have such a bad reputation, and so I probably have overcorrected. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I just... But Jesus talked about it a lot. More than perhaps any other subject, in fact. Because it is very important. And I'm drawing for this series a lot on Andy Stanley's work in a sermon series he did called How to Be Rich. And there's a book by that name. And Andy Stanley is the best preacher I've ever heard on money. I mean, if you want to... Skip ahead, you can just Google it, it's probably for free online. You can probably hear his messages. And it's how to be rich, not how to get rich. It's how to be rich. And so I just want to acknowledge that uh, I'm not stealing from Andy, but I'm borrowing maybe a little bit. Um, But he said it was okay, as long as I said I did that. Um, What is rich? No, 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 don't get spiritual on me, Karen. I mean, I'm talking money. What's rich? If, if we ask people what is rich, most people will define rich as richer than they are. So you say, how much money do you have to make to be rich? If you ask someone who makes $50,000 a year, they're probably going to say in the ballpark of $100,000 a year. If I made $100,000, then I'd be rich. If you ask someone who makes $120,000 a year, they're probably going to say, you know, $250,000. That's rich, but not me. We, ought, we have a hard time defining ourselves as rich. Rich is the other guy. Rich is when you have more than you need, and and when you have enough money that you can pretty much do whatever you want without having to think about it too much, that's rich. And, of course, that means I must not be rich because, of course, I don't have everything that I want to do everything that I need, right? When I was growing up, I knew I was not rich. But, Tom, your daddy's a doctor. Yeah, but not a surgeon. Okay, mine's just a regular doctor. I don't make as much. We're not rich. I'm telling, I'm telling you the truth right now. When I was growing up, I did not think of myself as rich. I didn't get whatever I wanted. I had to get a job. You know what I mean? Like, I had friends that got whatever they wanted. They were rich. I would go to their houses, and they had way more toys than I did. Rich. Those were my rich friends. In fact, one time I got invited to go on vacation with my best friend. My best friend and his family, and we've been friends forever since we were three years old. And he said, you want to go to the beach with me this summer for a week with my family? And it was several families together. And they stayed in a big, beautiful four-story house on the beach on St. Simon's Island. And I said, whoa, this is rich. These people, they owned it. It was their house. Four stories. Go out to eat. Get whatever you want. But then, 
one day during the week, we went and visited another guy who was like a mentor to one of the dads because he wanted to take us to lunch. We went to Sea Island. Guess what? He's rich. All of a sudden, I thought, oh, man, this is rich here. And here's what I mean. I know I'm not rich. I mean, we don't own a house on St. Simons, and we sure don't own a house on Sea Island. That's money. But then I was playing tennis in high school, and most of the tennis team was people who were privileged. But there was one kid on the team who was not. And one day, he asked, he, he never needed a ride home. But one day, for whatever reason, he had to get a ride home. And he asked me and my mom if we could give him a ride home. And we did. And we went to a part of town that I had never been to before. And he was in my class, and he had been in my grade for years. And he seemed just like me. But as we started going farther and farther and farther across Dublin into a part of town that I was not familiar with, I began to get uncomfortable. And I realized, we're rich. I mean, the, 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 the houses and the roads got worse and worse, and, and stuff wasn't taken care of, and things were falling apart. And when I saw where my friend lived, and of course we were not invited in, I, I, couldn't, believe, I couldn't believe that anybody lived in a house like that, much less somebody I knew. So see, rich is a moving target, isn't it? And we usually define rich as... Not us, but here's the thing. If you're in this room right now, chances are somebody looks at you and your life and goes, whoa, you're rich. To somebody, you and I, when they see where we live and the car we drive and the clothes that we have and the, food, the amount of food, you mean you... You mean you don't have to go to work every single day? You mean you only have to work five days a week, and yet you have food that will last all seven days? Do you get that that's actually rare in the world? See, but we think that's not that's just normal American. We don't, everybody works five days. I mean, you might work six, but everybody gets a day off. No, no, no. There are people, in fact, the majority of the world has to go to work every day to get their food for that day. And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm, I'm really not. I don't think you should. I'm simply saying that when we read the Bible and we hear what it says, what the verses we're about to read, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. How many of us, when we read that verse, typically think, yeah, amen, I hope the rich people listen to that. We, I mean, there's people that need to do more with all that God's blessed them with, amen? <laughs> right? Do you see what we do? Rich is the Bill Gates. Rich is the Warren Buffetts. 
Rich is the people that own all those corporations. and They're in the 1%, not me. I'm not a one percenter. But the 1%, man, they are rich. They, this applies to them. And I guess what I would just say to us is, we're rich. I mean, I'm looking around this room, and I'm pretty sure I can guarantee you that every single person in this room is rich. Congratulations. You made it. You did it. Not me. Now, one day, if like, we do these things like, man, if I won the lottery, boy, you wouldn't believe what I'd donate to this church. We'd, we'd, pay, we'd, make, we'd, have, we'd solve all our problems. If I, you know, we, we kind of play that game like if, if the stock market, if, the, if I win the lottery, blah, blah, blah. But, guys, that, that right there reflects that you think you're not rich. And you're saying, if I were rich, then. And what I'm trying to say to you today is you're rich. So I want to invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's holy word. These, these verses come out of the letter uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is an apostle who is sent by Jesus to start churches. And Timothy is a pastor that he has trained to lead churches. And so his is, this is called a pastoral epistle. Epistle is a fancy word for letter. But this is Paul telling Timothy how to be a pastor of a church, okay? And he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. so we're rich um not me i'm not rich we live in the wealthiest time in the history of the world in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world 99 percent of people in human history if they were to look at you and me they would not believe how rich we are. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I was earlier talking about the one percenters. We are the one percent. We are the one percent. The middle class in America, we are so blessed today that the middle class in America is like what the upper class used to be. In, in prior generations, and especially in prior centuries, the middle class in America is wealthy by human standards, by historical standards, by world standards, and certainly by biblical standards. 
like tremendously wealthy. And of course, I mean financially. I'm not talking about spiritual, right? I'm talking about financial wealth. And even the poor, and to be poor in America can, can still be hard. So I'm not saying that nobody's poor in America, because there are. There are people in, our, uh, in a stone's throw of, of our radius of this church who, who suffer from hunger and poverty. And so I'm not saying they're not among us. They are. But even the poor in America are way richer than they once were. In this nation. And the uber rich, which is what I think we think of when we think about how we're not rich, the uber rich are way, way, way richer. I mean, it's, it's, you can study the statistics for yourself if you want, but it's amazing how much wealth is in the hands of a very few families and individuals in the world today. But here's the thing let's say I had a job that I could offer you that was paying $38,000 a year. How's that salary sound to you? Scared to say out loud, right? I mean, for some, maybe that sounds pretty good. But it's hard to live on it, especially for health care costs. But guess what? If you make $38,000 a year, you make, you're in the richest 4% of the world. Are y'all tracking with that? That's more than 96% of the world. So if there's 100 chairs lined up and you make more than $38,000 a year, American dollars, you're in, the four cha- you're in four of the richest chairs. And the other 96 chairs are going, hey man, how'd you get so rich? <laughs> wow, 38000 Yet for many of us, we would go, that's not enough. Certainly not enough to take care of a family. And so the Scripture, we read where it says, command those who are rich. We might not feel rich, but I just challenge you, I challenge you to go, maybe these verses are for me. Maybe when the Bible says, command those who are rich, Paul and Jesus and all the Bible people would look at us and go, he's talking to you. (laughs) You're rich. The problem with money, I think this is why we have to talk about it, and this is why Jesus talked about it a lot, is when it comes to money, our hope tends to migrate. And so last week we talked about that Paul talking about putting our hope in Christ. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you could see the hope. But how quickly those of us who have put our hope in Jesus Christ, we we find ourselves putting our hope in ourselves, in our own abilities to provide for ourselves. And the money is the symbol of that. When, When your bank account balance hits a certain point, your stress level goes up. And I'm talking about going down. When your bank account balance goes down to a certain point. For some of you, it's in the negative. <laughs> For some of you, it's near zero. Some of you, it might be $10,000. For some of you, it might be $100,000. I don't, it doesn't matter, but for all of us, there is a point at which when your bank account balance gets low, you get stressed and anxious, and that is because you are putting your hope in wealth and not in God. It, 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 it reveals that we have tied our future 
to our net worth, to our bank account. And this is complicated, believe me, I suffer from the same illness. But it, do you see what I'm saying? It's so hilarious to me that we stamp in God we trust on our money. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's great. I think in God we trust is a great motto, and I, I love it for our country. But it's just kind of funny that we stamp it on our money. Because <laughs> it's like, no, we don't. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> we don't trust God in this country. We trust money. We trust the economy. And we are addicted to more. And we're going to look more at that in uh, a future sermon uh, in this series about how, how there's just that need for more. How much is enough? I don't know, a little more. <laughs> I don't have it yet. I'll let you know when I do have it. And so the Scriptures say, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Andy Stanley tells the story about, and this is like so interesting to me, because Andy Stanley's church, y'all know where it is? Alpharetta. Oh, Andy, it must be hard to plant a church in Alpharetta. How will you ever make ends meet? Y'all know where Alpharetta is? It's where the money flows. And then they planted a church in Buckhead. <laughs> right? It's fine. And that's why Andy did this sermon series, because he's going, my people are wealthy. How do I get across to wealthy people what the Bible says? Because there is a real danger in our hope migrating to our wealth. And there's another problem. The more money you have, the less generous you become. Say that again. I'll say it again. It, it's a, you can, this is... Thanks to our tax laws, we, can, we, we know what charitable giving statistics are, and by percentage, the most generous people are lower class and middle class. And the more you make by percentage, you typically become less generous, not more. Why? Because our hope tends to migrate. And you would think having more money would make you more trusting in God, but it can actually make you less. John Wesley found this to be true. His famous quote where he says, I have never thought that the Methodists would cease to exist, but I, I do fear that they will uh, lose their, their power uh, of the Holy Spirit. I can't, I'm butchering the quote, but... Um, but that was in regards, that's in the context of him saying he watched it, the Methodists who began with this powerful spiritual fervor, but then guess what would happen? They quit drinking so much, they quit gambling, they stayed at home, they worked hard, they made more money, and then they got wealthier, and then they became lax spiritually. And they lost the power that they had at first. Because money... I mean, somebody said that you actually cannot serve two masters. Now, this is not true, but I heard somebody say that you can't serve two masters because you'll either love one and hate the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Again, that, I, that's not been my experience. I have tried real hard to serve two masters my whole life, and so far, so good. I'm, yeah, some of you know I'm joking right now. Do you all know who said this? 
Jesus. Yeah, Jesus says, and you know what the two masters are? Not God and Baal, not God and Satan, not God and Beelzebub. God and money. That's the only real idol that we've got left. But boy, oh boy, we still love money. Amen. That's my favorite money quote besides all the Jesus ones. Zig Ziglar says, Money isn't everything, but it's kind of like oxygen. You can't live without it. <laughs> and that's the truth, right? So that's the thing. If I could just give it up like, you know, drugs or smoking or something, it'd be easy. But I can't. We have to learn how to manage this. And that's what this series is about. Because if you're in this room, chances are you have financial problems of some kind. And, and we're going to look at that over the next couple weeks. But today, what I really wanted to do is just kind of wake us up and ram home this idea that, yes, in fact, you and I are rich. We are rich, every one of us. And when the Scriptures talk about command those who are rich, and dare I say this, when Jesus says, woe to those who are rich, that's us. That's us. And, and of course, it's what we all want. We want enough. And there's some godly in that. But I say that with great caution. My wife Shelly and I have been blessed, just tremendously blessed. We don't deserve this blessing. We were born into families that modeled how to earn and save and give. And, and of course, not everybody has that. So that's a generational blessing that I was given and that Shelly was given. So for us... When we got married, not that we haven't made financial mistakes, for goodness sakes, we have, and we have had our share of money discussions. Um, aren't they fun, those? But I will say this. One thing that I'm glad we agreed on entering into our marriage was that we wanted to tithe, that we wanted to be generous. And so that's something that we've just done from the very beginning. And I can't, like, I, I'm not going to be this prosperity gospel. And like I said, I don't like talking about this because of how hard it is for many of you to believe that you can trust a preacher or you can trust a church when it comes to money. But I will say this. Y'all vote on what I make. If you're a member of this church, you all get a vote on it. And no matter what you give, that doesn't determine how much I get. And I hate to have to say that, but there's a lot of people who don't know that. And so they think the preacher's got some underhanded motive, and I just don't. I, I don't. Uh -uh, I, yeah. And, 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 and here's the thing. Like Hank Williams Jr. said um, in one of his, not the best song he ever wrote, but there are some preachers on TV with a suit and a tie and a vest. They want you to give your money to the Lord, but they give you their address. Because all of your donations are completely tax-free. God bless you all, and most of all, send your money. You know, like, that's a... That, and see, that song is hilarious for a reason. So, I, I, it's hard to do this. So, I don't preach on this for the church budget's sake. I don't preach on this for my own financial sake. I preach on this because your heart and my heart... Our hope will drift away from God 
towards money. And like Jeanette says, we do have to deal with money. And God has given us a spiritual practice as an antidote to the pull of greed and to the pull of hoarding and being a miser and to the the pull of of cynicism and stinginess. Like all of these are... um, are heart issues that you and I are, you cannot escape them. You know, in American society today, you are, the air you breathe is, you're a consumer. I mean, it's like our, our calling by the culture is based on our money and how much you get and how much you spend. And that, that's toxic. That is toxic for your soul. So the reason I want to talk about money for the next few weeks, and it's not going to be gimme, gimme, gimme. Like, I don't want you to think, I'll come back in four weeks. I, please don't do that, because this is not about how to give more, get more money for the church. That's, I mean, yes, is that a part of it? Sure. But more, it's how do you and I live in this world as people who will handle the money that God has given us well? Because you and I are stewards. You know, you can do whatever you want with your money. But at the end of the day, there will be an accounting. Not, I mean, I guess of your money, but more than that, of your life and of mine. And there will be an accounting that will say, what'd you do? What'd you do with your time? What'd you do with your stuff? What'd you do with your life? What'd you do with your money? What'd you do with your heart and your emotions and your passions? And you can either invest it in stuff and money and the bottom line, or you can invest it in the kingdom of God. So that's why he says, command them, those who are rich, myself included, hey, God provides everything for your enjoyment. It's not a bad thing to have money. It's good. It's wonderful. You need it. And it's for your enjoyment. It's not like you're, I'm not supposed to enjoy it. We're not Puritans, okay? The Pur- Y'all know the Puritans were all like, eat food, but don't enjoy it. You know, No, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Life is to be enjoyed, but if you're rich especially, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves a treasure, and it's a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they can take hold of the life that's truly life. And so the spiritual practice that I'll I'll, I'll leave us with today is, is be generous. Be generous. What does that look like for you? Be generous. There is an antidote to the heart issues that will come from having money and from being rich and from, quite honestly, having more than we need. Most of us, we actually have more than we need And that's okay. So what do I do with that? Be generous. Give. C.S. Lewis, uh, somebody says, how much should you give? Should you tithe? And of course, the tithe is the biblical standard. It's the minimum standard. It's 10%. But C.S. Lewis, if you read the New Testament, it actually goes beyond the tithe. That's what most preachers, most of y'all don't want to talk about. Some people say, do you preach on tithing? Hey, tithing's easy. You don't want me to preach on what the New Testament says about money. It, goes, it gets a little deeper <laughs> than that. 
So C.S. Lewis says, how much should we give? We, we should probably give until it hurts. And if it doesn't hurt a little, you're probably not giving enough. Does that make sense? So some of us, you can, t- some of you to tithe would be a challenge and it would hurt and you'd feel the pinch. And that's good. Sorry. Time to go. Um, but for some of us, you can tithe and it's still not really skin off your nose. Does that make sense? And so that's just a, a, a what does it look like to be generous? Is to give a little more than you think you can. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing a beautiful hymn. It's not in the hymnal, but it's I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. So let's pray, and uh, I, hope you'll, I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll come back every week uh, for the next few weeks as we dive into what God says about our money. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, blessing us, Lord. You know, we could have been born uh, in any country on earth, and and Lord, we are mindful, especially on this Veterans Day weekend, that we are really, really blessed. And, and people have laid a foundation just in this country that, you know, I didn't do. I, I, I don't deserve it. So we're just so thankful for the blood of the patriots and for those that uh, conceived of this nation. And Lord, you've, you've blessed us like so much. It's, a, it's just incredible and we're so thankful and please forgive us when we get arrogant and filled with hubris and we act like we're so great. And God, help us to remember that it all flows from you. And, and God, I pray that you would just make us mindful that, you know, just by virtue of our birth, we are very, very blessed. And um, Lord, we don't want the blessings to become strangleholds. Lord, we don't want to to miss the forest for the trees. We don't want to we don't want to lose lose sight of you. And we don't want our hope to migrate to our money or to our own abilities or, or to ourselves. Or we want to keep our eyes focused on you. And Lord, we know that money can be it can be an issue with that. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to um, to look to your word, to take seriously what your scriptures say about wealth and money, and the life of God, and Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to be generous today and this week in all things, and God will give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I know you all probably memorized the King James version of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but want means lack. Like, I, I thought when I was a kid, it meant don't want anything. Don't want another Star Wars toy, selfish kid. No, it doesn't mean I shouldn't want anything. It means I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. May you know the deep reservoir of Jesus Christ. And may you rest in Him and stop striving for more. And know that He is your daily bread. He is living water. And He is all that you need and more. Go in peace. Amen.